0: well good morning everybody it is wonderful to see you here today at the vista uh, if we haven't met before my name is austin i get to serve here as one of our lead pastors if you join us for the first time first time in a long time maybe it's your first time at church in a really long time we are so glad that you're here today we hope that you feel loved and welcomed and wanted that you fit right in and make yourself at home here today at the vista before we jump in one uh quick announcement to make <clears throat> i want to invite all the fellows in the room to our annual vista men's conference it's coming up this next weekend February 3rd and 4th. It's a Friday evening, Saturday morning, Excuse me. up until lunch. You'll get to hear from a number of our pastors and elders. It's a really great time. We've mentioned numerous, on numerous occasions over the past couple years, that we're in the middle of a sort of loneliness epidemic in the modern world. And men, in particular, for various reasons, have been really, really hit by that. Modern men are really, really lonely. And and guys, I just got to tell you, if there's Anything that I know with absolute and clear certainty, it's that no matter how no matter how tough and independent, strong-minded and macho you are, man, you need friends. You need friends. Nobody's too big to need friends. And in particular, you need some guys who will help you follow Jesus a little bit better. And so come to our Vista Men's conference this next weekend, bring a friend make a few more friends, and we'll have a really, really good weekend together, okay? we we'll hope to see you there. You can sign up online or over in the Next Steps area after the service. So today, today we're in the fourth and final week of this series called And, a series where we are working through a few tensions that are central to healthy Christian faith. And we wanted to start off the new year with this series because it provides an opportunity for those of us who been at Vista for a while to remind ourselves about something very important and we think unique about our calling as a church and then it provides an opportunity for those of us who might be a little bit newer to Vista to learn something uh, very important about our unique calling as a church and that something important that I am referring to is our church's commitment to live with certain tensions that a lot of people keep telling us that we have to live without. And it has been observed almost to the point of over-observation at this point. But we, we do live in this just almost comically polarized age, don't we? When we are constantly exhorted to pick a side. And our lives is reduced to this series of binary decisions. Where we're either in on this or we're in on that. you got to be one or the other. Republicans or Democrats, right? Women's rights or men's rights. Free speech or censorship. Uh, country music or hip-hop. Donald or Joe, right? You know the drill. And I certainly understand the desire to live a life free of tension because wouldn't that be nice? Just live a life where you didn't have any tension? No competing loyalties, no tug of wars, never feel pulled between this and that. I had a a good friend about a decade ago, he was talking to me, and this guy lived about as tension-free a life as you're going to find. Just very go with the flow, had very few attachments. He lived a very, well, shall we say, Lebowski-like lifestyle. He had a good life. We're talking about this one time. He's kind of... He's kind of confessing to me, you know, he's confessing that he knows his lifestyle is a little bit indulgent, probably a little bit unsustainable. And so he says to me, you know, Austin, I think my problem, my main problem in life is that I just do whatever I think is going to make me happy in the moment, like 99% of the time. (laughs) But in my defense, I am happy like 99% (laughs) of the time. And he had a good run, man. He had a longer Lebowski you know, freeway than most of us get. But one day it, it ended and his tension-free life went bye-bye when he got married, okay? Because marriage is where tension-free goes to die. I'm a I'm big, big fan of marriage, but I'm just telling you, it's not where you go if you want a tension-free life. I don't know if y'all saw this. George Clooney, he recently said that he and his wife have never had a fight in their entire marriage. Never had a fight. That's what George Clooney claims. And I claim that George Clooney is either a liar or a psychopath, right? Because I don't trust a man who never gets in a fight in his marriage. I'm just waiting for the headline. George Clooney killed by wife in first ever fight, right? I'm not wishing it on him, but I'm not going to be surprised when it happens. <laughs> Anyways, the point is that, yeah, I live in a attention free life. Man, it sounds great. It sounds great. But that's for, it's for like infantile teeny boppers who don't know how to grow up, put on their big boy, big girl pants, and deal with life in this terrific, but sometimes terrible world for what... It actually is. We don't do it perfectly, but here at Vista, we are committed to trying to faithfully negotiate tensions that are difficult and they are complicated, but they're also there for a reason. And we lose something really important when we lose them. Tensions like the things between evangelism and discipleship, activism and contemplation, global and local, much more importantly, Jordans and Red Wings, right? You gotta have both these things. This is a cover for Dave and I's rap album. It's gonna be dropping. (laughs) later on. Dave really wears boots. Dave got kicked by a cow this weekend. It's the craziest thing. He's a real life farmer. Um, We're committed to trying to choose the and over the or when our faith requires it. And quite often it does. So far we've talked about the tension between faith and works, the tension between inclusion and judgment, the tension between being conservative and being progressive. And today we'll wrap the series up by talking about this tension between submission and and autonomy submission individuality all right we'll be in Acts 21 today you can turn there but before we get there we're going to do a couple passes over the exegetical runway to set it up a little bit I want to tell you about something I found recently that I thought was very interesting so Christianity today is probably the leading like uh, Cultural evangelical news institution in America. A very famous magazine that's been around for a long time. And they recently released a list of their top 20 most popular, most read stories of 2022. So, what I want to do is take you through the list very briefly, and then we'll make a couple of observations. All right, so start here at the top. Number 20, uh, Hillsong Church. You know, we sing all the Hillsong songs there. Uh, founding pastor resigned after some accusations of impropriety. Uh, Queen Elizabeth died, RIP. This uh, Christian bass player died, RIP. Uh, study on who stopped going to church during the pandemic. A study on what evangelical women say when you ask them about sex. Uh, article on the Capitol attack. Let's see, number 14. Uh, go ahead and pray for Putin's demise. Sounds like a good one. Um, <laughs> Number 13, article about uh, Bono. Bono uh, recently released a book. I'm a big Bono fan. It's a good article. Number 12, an article about sexual harassment that went unchecked at Christianity Today. Number 11, another Hillsong article asking if we should sing their songs given the fact that there have been these uh, accusations of abuse in the church. Number 10, some controversy about translation of the Bible. Number nine, stop applauding pastors who publicly confess their sins. Okay, so here's the deal. Hit it. Comes to light one day that I like. Kill cats for fun, and I confess that you shouldn't applaud me. You should boo. Okay, cats. Actually, maybe cats you could applaud. Dogs, though, you would need to boo me. Okay, this is not something you applaud me for. Number eight, Jerry Falwell, uh, interesting guy. I leave it there. Number seven, this big ad campaign. He gets us. You've probably seen it. Uh, they'll have a spot here in the the football games this afternoon. Number six, some heresies uh, reappearing among American evangelicals. Number five, article about pornography. Number four, article about uh, cover-up of abuse among pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. Number three, an article about fantasy role-playing. Interesting. Uh, Number two and number one, uh, Matt Chandler. He's a pretty famous pastor in Dallas. Uh, He stepped aside for a season after some accusations of some inappropriate Instagram DMs. Number one, this article about the systemic cover-up of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay. So, in this list of the 20 most popular articles of 2022, did you notice any patterns, similarities in these these stories? Well, one of the things that uh, more than a few people noticed is that the most popular articles were overwhelmingly interested in abuse scandal, and failure in the church. All right, so whether it was the failings of celebrity pastors, accusations of institutional tolerance of sexual harassment, um, the indisputable cover-up of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, these were the stories that people were most drawn to, that people were most interested in, that people were the hungriest for, most prone to click on. And this surely manifest a very interesting and important tension because on the one hand it is good and it's important to hold powerful people and institutions accountable, to shed a light on the church's moral failings because they are many so that she can better be that city set upon a hill for the sake of the world that she has been called to be. I, for one, personally, I find it entirely appropriate that the most popular story of 2022 was about the documented systemic cover-up of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. It was an enormous story. It was a terrible thing. There needed to be a lot of light shed on that. That makes sense to me. But is it really uh, appropriate and a good use of our collective attention that the second most popular story of 2022 was about Matt Chandler and his Instagram DMs? Now, Don't get me wrong. I am no apologist for uh, celebrity pastors. I think it's ridiculous. People want to be famous for being a Christian. I'm no particular apologist for Matt Chandler. He didn't like my first book about Calvinism. Which is fine because I don't like any of his books, okay? So we're even. I'm going (laughs) to say I'm not an apologist for the man. But I I do think there's, there's something weird about our fascination with his potential moral failings. And much more importantly, I think there's something weird about our fascination with the church's failures because we are very fascinated by it right now. And of course, our cultural fascination with the church's failures is in many ways an expression of a much broader phenomenon in which we modern people are ever increasingly skeptical of authority and institutions. So for example, for the last 50 years, Gallup has measured Americans' confidence in our major public institutions. So this is stuff like uh, the military, the police, the medical system, school system, banking system, presidency, the church, etc. And what the study has revealed is that basically every year, for the last 50 years, we have less and less confidence in our authorities and institutions. Well, you see the graph here. It's a steady downward trend, and it currently sits at about 27%. Only 27% of Americans have confidence in our major public authorities and institutions we no longer trust the authority of the authorities right we all know what this feels like I get it you want to talk about vaccines for a second I'm just kidding we want to I, I get it I get it all right I totally get it I, a lot of our authority skepticism is well earned because uh, a lot of our authorities and institutions have been so stupid and immoral and so it is good that we modern people are all just a little bit more streetwise nowadays about authority I tend to think that's a very 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 good and appropriate thing But we would also be fools to underestimate the consequences of living in a society where increasingly the only authority you trust is your own. Because that appears to be where we're headed. And I'm not so sure that's a good thing. And that brings us finally, all right, we're finally coming down to the runway to our text for today, Acts. 21 17 through 26, and this very important tension between submission and autonomy. Okay, so we'll be in Acts 21. It'll be on the screen for you as well if you'd like to read along. A story about the Apostle Paul in the early church. Now, it says, After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and the following day, Paul went in uh, with us to James, and the elders were present, the elders at the church in Jerusalem. Now, after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law. But they've been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? is to be done about this because they will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you, now, we have four men who are under a vow, take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly keeping the law, the law of Moses. Concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we, we've already written having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication then Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself along with them he went into the temple giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them okay Acts 21 verses 17 through 26 so for a little bit of context here the apostle Paul has been Traveling around on these journeys, these mission journeys out to the Gentile world. And in the early days of Christianity, the boundaries between Christianity and Judaism were very, very fuzzy, okay? Very, very blurry. Long story short, all the first Christians were Jewish. Every one of them. And in becoming Jewish, they did not think, in becoming Christians, they did not think of themselves as no longer Jewish but rather they thought of themselves as Jews who believed that Jesus was the true Jewish Messiah. Makes sense? They didn't feel like they had to pick between being Christian and being Jewish. Um, And then though, as it becomes clear that the gospel is for all the Gentiles, too, this really complicated argument breaks out in the early church. Now, on the one side, you've got these more traditionalist Jewish Christians who are, man, they are happy for the Gentiles to be included in God's family. That's great. But they also feel like these Gentiles need to, they need to become pretty Jewish if they want to be a part of God's family which meant that they needed to observe the law of Moses and some of the food and ceremonial laws and then most importantly it meant that they needed to, you know, snip, snip get circumcised so that's one side now on the other side you have these more just kind of I don't know, maverick Jewish Christians like Paul who are like man, bring on the bacon and you leave them Gentile foreskins alone okay, leave them where they lie Because God has embraced the Gentiles as Gentiles. Everybody just needs to chill out about this a little bit. It's not a big deal. And so back in Acts 15, we have this very famous meeting known as the Jerusalem Council, where the apostles and the elders, they get together to sort this thing out. They mostly side with Paul, but they do make some concessions to the more traditionalist Jewish Christians. They ask them not to eat certain things. Like, okay, you don't have to get circumcised, but you can't eat the bacon. Okay, that's the compromise. That's the agreement. And so Paul now, he's been traveling the Gentile world on a number of these different missionary journeys, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And when he arrives back in Jerusalem, he walks into a bit of a hornet's nest. For various reasons, the Gentile Christians in Jerusalem are in a defensive mood. They're they're not in the best mindset towards the Gentiles in general at this point. And so when Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, shows up in Jerusalem, they're not very happy about it. All right? That's the situation. So Paul, he walks into this meeting with James and the elders, who are the de facto institutional authorities in Jerusalem at this time. And he starts telling them about his, his success in his Gentile mission trips. Man, there were exorcisms, there were healings, outpourings of the Holy Spirit, a move of God among the Gentiles. And James and the elders, man, they celebrate this, they glorify God, but, but then they also need to talk to Paul about this kind of delicate matter, namely this rumor that has broken out among some of the more traditionalist Jewish Christians that Paul is telling Jews that they need to forsake their Jewishness. Now, here's how it's put in verse 21. Now, they've been told about you, Paul, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. This is a very serious accusation. And in point of fact, the rumor was false because while Paul was fairly laissez-faire about the law of Moses, um, he had a deep respect and appreciation for both his and christianity's jewish heritage and he would have never wanted to give the impression that he was in any way anti-jewish right but that's the rumor so in order to squash it james and the others they come up with this plan here's the plan there are these four jewish christians who are in the middle of this uh ceremonial purification vow it's probably called the Nazarite vow we know that because they had to shave their heads they say, hey we want you to join them in the temple for their vow, perform a vow of your own. And then we also want you to fund their expenses. There are all these sacrifices and other things involved, but we want you to foot the bill for that. And so then all the Jewish Christians can see you in the temple being a, a good Jew, supporting your Jewish brothers and sisters and their vow making one of your own. And all this will gesture to your respect and appreciation for the shared Jewish heritage of Christianity. That's the plan. And without any registered complaint, Paul submits to the decision of James and the elders. And with all due respect to uh, the Dos guy, I miss him, he's still around, I haven't seen him in a while. I tend to think that the Apostle Paul was the most interesting man in the world. I do, because on the one hand, Paul, he was this like libertarian wild man. He's this Promethean force of nature, this renegade charismatic, this spiritual maverick who laughed, At man's authority because all he cared about was God's authority and a lot of us love this part of Paul's personality because I I dare say that here at the Vista we have uh, a disproportionate number of spiritual mavericks per capita you know who you are okay we've got a lot of you And, and I love that I got a little bit of that in me too you know I think it's a good and healthy thing because honestly it just keeps it just keeps things real it helps you ask good questions Helps you think for yourself. Helps you take responsibility for yourself. Those are all wonderful things. In more theological terms, we might say this is an expression of something called the priesthood of all believers. Dave talked about this a little last week. Priesthood of all believers. And this is certainly a a point of difference from, let's say, our Catholic brothers and sisters who we love and respect and appreciate, but we do differ a little bit on this point. Because we believe that there's a very real sense in which all Christians are priests. Meaning, you have this direct access to God through prayer and scripture and sacrament that does not have to be mediated by some official religious authority. You've probably noticed that when we receive communion at the end of service, there aren't a bunch of pastors and elders there mediating that thing to you. There are no priests at those tables. You want to know why? Because you're the priest at that table. You don't need a priest at that table. Right, that's a wonderful thing. And so like I said, this kind of spiritual autonomy and independence, it can be a really good thing because it keeps things real. And in the spirit of keeping things real, I just got to level with some of you and say, uh, some of you do not have a spiritual autonomy bone in your body. And you know who you are too. You're far too compliant and submissive. You spend your whole life politely complying with whatever the official man in the mustache says to you. Right? I just got to level with you. I'm a little bit worried about you. I am, because I feel like if, if I told you that God told me that God wanted you to buy me a helicopter, I'm worried that some of you would do it, okay? I am. I, if Vista was a cult, it's not, but if it was, some of you would be just bottom of the barrel with a Kool-Aid, I, I'm worried about some of you. And so some of that spiritual autonomy, it's a really good and important thing. We all need at least a, a touch of Paul's spiritual maverick streak in us. It's a goodness, a healthy thing. But then while Paul was undoubtedly a spiritual maverick, there was a lot more to Paul than this. And we often underestimate just how humble and submissive Paul was willing to be. I mean, let's get beneath this story just a little bit more. I want you to think about what Paul is having to deal with here in Acts 21, okay? This man has been traveling the world. And you need to understand, traveling the world, in the ancient world, it was not the envy-inducing, luxurious Instagram flex that it is in the modern world, right? I mean, traveling in the modern world, it's a sign of privilege, a sign of luxury. Traveling in the ancient world, traveling the world in the ancient world, it sucked. It was terrible. It's how everybody died. How'd your dad die? He went on a trip, right? That was like 90% of the tombstones. How'd he die? He went on a trip. That's that's it. Any of you ever try to play Oregon Trail when you were growing up? Did you ever make it to Oregon? Anybody ever? You died of dysentery two days in, or your family got washed away in a river, okay? That's the kind of traveling we're talking about. Oregon Trail, not first class on a jet, okay? So he's traveling the world. It sucks. He's been getting uh, emotionally, verbally, physically assaulted. He gets the crap beat out of him. Remember that one story? He gets stoned by a violent mob to the point that they think they have killed him. You know how dead you have to look, man, for a violent mob of men with rocks in their hands to get to the point where they're like, nah, man, he's dead. You know, I don't want to tear my rotator cuff throwing this big one to finish him off. He's fine. Okay, so that's what Paul's been going on. And while Paul's doing that, getting rocks thrown at his head by violent mobs of people, what are James and the elders in Jerusalem doing? Well, they've got their their feet up on stools and they're trying to figure out if Gentiles can eat bacon. Bacon. Oh, it's, it's so tough to eat the bacon or not to eat. I just don't know. You know, we need, to, we need to get a commission together. We'll write a commission paper on the bacon. That's what they're doing. Now, I'm being unfair. They, they did some other stuff, but you get the point. Paul has indisputably sacrificed more than all of them because he's out there on the front lines taking rocks to his skull. And so can you imagine how tempting it must have been for Paul to walk into this meeting with James and the elders in Jerusalem? Listen to all their anxious hand-wringing about this silly little rumor that the fundamentalist Jewish Christians have, have concocted. Listen to their plan that, hey, in order to appease them, we want you to, to pay money out of your own pocket <laughs> to appease these, these crazy lunatic people with this ridiculous rumor. Can you imagine how tempted Paul must have been to just laugh them and their authority out of the room? I know if I had been Paul, whoo, I'd walk in that meeting, hey, Here's the plan, buddy. We want you to pay out of your own pocket to squash the silly room. I would have gone, okay, guys, great plan, but I got a different one. How about you all um, wipe the bacon grease off your face, hit save on your little bacon position paper. You could go out into the Gentile world, get rocks thrown at your face until you almost die. You could come back here to Jerusalem, and then maybe you could tell me what to do. But if not, you should probably just shut up. Right? That's what I would have done. And it would have been totally understandable for Paul to do this, right? For Paul to flex his autonomy a little bit here. But it's not what Paul does. Rather than flexing his autonomy, Paul practices submission. Because Paul saw enough of the big picture to see that he couldn't see the full picture. Paul was willing to submit to the wisdom of the authority of the institution, even though Paul obviously did not fully agree with their decision. And given, as I said, that we are a church that's probably a bit disproportionately constituted by people with uh, a little bit of the spiritual maverick in us, I, I think that Paul's submission here probably has a very important something to say to us. Because a lot of us, we are willing to submit. We're willing to submit to spiritual authority when we agree with it, <laughs> and it's convenient. Which is, of course, to say that a lot of us are willing to submit only to our own authority. Only authority you will submit to is your own. and That's a really dangerous place to be because nobody is smart enough, righteous enough, holy enough, biblical enough, prayerful enough, spiritual enough to ever rely fully upon your own authority. I know I'm not. So I want to end with this. The goal of this entire series was to name, not resolve certain tensions that are important to live with as Christians. And so I'm not even going to try to resolve this tension between submission and autonomy because I don't think it can or should be resolved because it's there for a reason, needs to be faithfully lived with. And so are we living in the middle of an especially toxic moment in church history where there is rampant abuse and scandal and failure because it feels that way. Well, probably not. Probably not. Given that by most every metric imaginable, we live in the most transparent, just, equitable, and compassionate moment In human history, it's not even close. Doesn't mean there's not injustice and abuse in our era. Obviously there is, but compared to every other era, oh my Lord, (laughs) we're doing a pretty good job. So it doesn't really make any sense that there would just be this epidemic of all these things. But is there abuse and scandal and failure in the church, in this church? Absolutely, absolutely. You wanna know why? Because I'm a part of it because you're a part of it. So here's the tension. If you you wanna avoid submitting to any authority that might harm or hurt you, I get it. I do, I get it. But where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna go? Because anywhere you might go is a place where there's gonna be harming and there's gonna be hurting because you're gonna be there and you harm people and you hurt people, I know I do. All that to say it is true that church, churches, that communities are places where we're harmed, uniquely so in some ways because we get really close to each other, that's true. But it is also true that church, that churches, that communities are a place, are uniquely the place where we're healed and made whole. And there's really no other place to be made whole. Which means that our only real way forward is not choosing between submission or autonomy, but it's humbly, faithfully, honestly navigating this tension between submission and autonomy. Amen? And let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of today. We, we do not deserve to be here. We could never deserve to be here. Every breath in and every breath out is a gift from a good and gracious God. We come before you and um, God, we, we confess that we are a people who have experienced hurt and harm. We've experienced it here in the church. We've experienced it at this church because it's filled with people. And that harm can be, profoundly painful, traumatic. It can stay with us uh, for years, decades. It's important to tell the truth about that. It's important to confess all the ways in which we have failed to live up to our calling. We have not been the city set on a hill for the sake of the world that we've been called to be. Without any way minimizing that, God, we also confess that this is also the place here with each other in community that we find healing, healing, that we find wholeness and we cannot find healing or wholeness without the community. And so we ask that you would help each one of us individually and together to humbly negotiate this tension between submission and autonomy. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.